thing. So give me an idea. It's like, what was the biggest thing you got rid of? Um, probably just like some electronics or like kitchen appliances. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember if I sold any. Like a slap chop? Furniture. <laughs> 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 like I got rid of a juicer. Um, Answer the question. Do you have a slap chop? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> Money Mostly Canadian Podcast with your host, Freep Banerjee. Welcome to Mostly Money. I'm your host, Preet Banerjee. And on the show today, I have the author of a new book that is captivating the attention of people around the world. The book is called The Year of Less, and the author is Kate Flanders. And for whatever reason, she's decided to grace this lowly podcast with her presence, for which I am very grateful. Uh, Now, as usual, before I talk to this episode's guest, thank you again to the listeners who have left star ratings on iTunes. Special thanks this week to someone whose moniker is quite amusing. They go by I like fan fiction the most. That is their name. I like fan fiction the most. Uh, who says the audio quality of the podcast rivals the BBC. And that is a fantastic compliment, uh, as I do make an extra effort to make sure that everything sounds as good as possible. So thank you very much. Other commenters, Dr. Arthur Jan, Speedball and the Nut. This next one, I don't know if they were just banging on the keyboard, but it's... Uh, 9HDJ Bluffs DFHNCDCCNJ664. Uh, I don't know what to make of that. Uh, <laughs> Dream Theater 888 and IV94 also left ratings and comments. And I thank you all for doing so. Now, if you haven't done so yet, I really do appreciate you taking five seconds to leave a rating on iTunes. And if you want to take the additional time to write in a comment on top of that, I do read them all. And now on to today's guest. Kate Flanders is a former binge. I took this from your book jacket. Yeah. Kate Flanders is a former <laughs> binge consumer turned mindful consumer of everything. Through personal stories, she writes about what happens when money, minimalism, and mindfulness cross paths. Kate's story has been shared on Oprah.com, Forbes, Yahoo, The Guardian, The Globe and Mail, CBC News, and more. She inspires people to consume less and live more on her blog, kateflanders.com. Kate lives in Squamish, British Columbia, with her three loves, the mountain, the forest, and the ocean. Welcome to the podcast, Kate. Thank you for having me. Um, I should tell people that I know Kate very well. Yes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, And we're going to talk a little bit about your journey, but I wanted to start off with a very quick sort of precy as to what the book is about, and then we'll talk about the journey that led you up to the writing of the bus- of the book. So so why don't you um, explain to us, in a nutshell, what is this book about? Yeah, so, I mean, I will say based on the cover alone and sort of the subtitle that goes along with it, you will think it is a book that is just about not shopping for a year, which is definitely the timeline, right? Like, and that was the point of it. It's the timeline of the book. There was this year-long experiment where I decided to not shop for anything unless I actually needed it. Right. Um, and that's the the timeline of, of from July of 2014 to June of 2015. And um, But I talk a lot in in throughout that sharing stories of, just my consumption tendencies with a lot of things over the years. So I'm very open um, about things like binge drinking, binge eating even, and talk even just a little bit, which I'm probably more passionate about now, but a little bit too about uh, binge consuming things like television and social media. Right. Okay. So we'll, we'll dive into that in a second. 
Um, but let's start with a little bit of your background. So I know you probably don't listen to this podcast, but what I do with a lot of the guests, you don't, do you? Oh my God. No, I've listened to episodes. Really? Which yeah, ones? And also because um, years ago I used to work for Rate Hub. Yeah. And because you've been doing this for a long time, on and off. Yeah. <laughs> so you do listen. <laughs> so years ago, you had my old boss, uh, Alyssa, on the show. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That was eight years ago? No, like Four? Oh, okay, okay. It's like I think I've been. When podcasting did I work there? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was like 2013. So that's like five years okay, ago. Okay, yeah. So we're getting there. Wow. Yeah, um, it's amazing. <laughs> this podcast has been technically on the air for six or seven years. It's only like 62 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I think this is episode number 63. Okay, so let's let's go back to when you and I met. Do you remember? Because I've forgotten. Mm, <laughs> it's been that long. Probably, it's not that you're not memorable. Probably CPFC 2012. Okay. So because, for those of you who don't know, that's the Canadian Personal Finance Conference 2012. Yeah, you and Crystal. I think that might have been one of the last years you helped organize it. I think so. I was only involved in two years, and then I was, with many things, I just stopped. <laughs> Burn it down. Yeah, yeah, burn it all down. Uh, okay, so so it was back then. Okay. It's been right. a long time. It has been a long time. Okay, so, and I think back then you were going by Blonde on a Budget was the name I of your was. website. was, yeah. Were you ever anonymous? I was anonymous in the beginning. I was anonymous for about a year, like the first year that I was blogging. Yeah. Um, because I didn't, and I really just didn't want my family to know who, find it and figure out who that I had a bunch of debt because back then I started my blog in June of 2011 mm-hmm. and I had almost $30,000 of consumer debt at that time and I didn't want anyone in my real life to know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a reasonable <laughs> thing. Yeah. Um, and was it you and Crystal who were both anonymous, but you actually went to school together and you didn't know that the other person was writing a personal finance blog? Yeah. As soon as I started my blog, because I started it not knowing I was ever going to even have like another reader. My, my first, like if you go back to my first like year of posts, probably they were just like these weekly spending reports. Yeah. So it would literally just say like on Monday, I spent $2.91 at Starbucks. And on Tuesday, I spent $2.91 at Starbucks. Right. And, and that's all it was really for most of the first year. And so I never... I never started it thinking I was going to make friends or have readers or anything like that. But then I found some other personal finance blogs and one of them was Give Me Back My Five Bucks. Right. So this is the blog that's written by Crystal Yee. And Crystal's picture back then, because she was also still anonymous back then, her picture was of her... Um, I think it was a field hockey picture. Sounds she, like Crystal. Yeah, but her <laughs> head was cut off. But I knew because we had gone to college together and in a very small program at Camosun College in Victoria where mm-hmm. they only have 27 students a year. <laughs> so uh, I knew from that picture that that was Crystal's Facebook picture. Right. So then I messaged her on Facebook. I'm like, dude, is this your blog? <laughs> <laughs> And she was like, wait, don't tell anyone. Like, nobody knows. Like, this is when everything was just starting. Like, Crystal had just gotten her deal where she was about to start writing for the Toronto Star back then. And all of a sudden, and so she was like, I'm going to announce it soon and like come out sort of soon. So please don't say anything yet. (laughs) Right. Okay. So, yeah, that's a crazy story. So you were both kind of reading each other's blogs and you went to the same school in a relatively remote uh, part of the country in a small program. Crazy. Um, okay, so you were both debt bloggers. How did you get into this 
$30,000 of consumer debt? I mean, it started by just, you know, from the time I got my first credit card when I was 19 years old, I just used it like it was free money, Mm -hmm. right? So I always earned enough that I could pay my minimums. So I never hurt my credit over the years, but I basically just used credit to pay for everything that I couldn't actually afford to do. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't actually afford to buy or own or see or, and so I just continually, it's like you're swiping constantly for this stuff and ignoring that it actually doesn't feel good to be going into debt. Right. But I just ignored it. And I always told myself that I would pay it off one day. Of course. Yeah. We have the best intentions, right? Yeah. Um, Does it feel particularly good to spend money for you, like compared to other people? Um, back then? Yeah. Probably. And what about now? Do you absolutely abhor it? I don't. I think, um, I've been going through these motions where I'm, I'm trying to figure out if it's because I'm sort of now known, not just in like the personal finance space, but like in the minimalism space Mm -hmm. where the messaging is a lot of like the less, less is more and stuff like that, that I've, I found I've been like having these feelings of like, I shouldn't spend money. Or sometimes when I go to make a purchase, I'm like, should I not be buying stuff because people think I'm a minimalist or something? And so I don't know. And I still, I really want to remove that too, because at the end of the day, spending money, it's not a big deal. Like spending money doesn't make you a bad person when buying stuff doesn't make you a bad person. So I'm now sort of, it's like on the other end of it, trying to wrestle with that and come back to the balance in the middle. I think in the minimalism space too, it's just really interesting because you see there's all these topics out there too of like frugality. So which is really like you shouldn't be spending a lot of money and you can cut back and be super extreme with it even. Like dumpster diving? Yeah, right. And <laughs> and I'm like, uh, so there's just so many spectrums of it. And I think what I've had to come back to is like, no, like I truly believe that when you spend money on this stuff that actually adds value to your life. And that means like that you just use it, that you actually use it. Um, that shouldn't, there should be nothing that feels bad about that. Right. That should feel okay. So I will say I hate shopping. Like I absolutely hate going shopping. Oh, for everything now, like now, mm -hmm. but back then, different story. Oh no. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I would have bought anything. (laughs) Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. So you, you accumulate. So 30,000 was the maximum consumer that, that you ever, uh, had at one point. And how long did it take you after the age of 19 to get to that point? Was it sort of constant? Did it accelerate towards that peak? It was, it definitely accelerated. I think that up until I was about 22, 23, I sort of always carried maybe like two to $3,000 on my credit cards. And then um, I went through a really bad breakup from just a really toxic relationship when I was 23 or 24. And in like the three months that followed that, I moved out on my own for the very first time. Like I'd lived with him and I'd lived with roommates before, but I moved out to live on my own for the first time. With that, I think because of how awful life sort of felt, it was all very emotional spending. I bought all brand new furniture and just bought all these things to like make my home feel this like safe and comfortable place. And um, I also financed a new car and talk about depreciating assets. Yeah. <laughs> so I financed a brand new car and and it all accelerated. Like within probably six months of that breakup, I financed about $20,000. Okay. Um, and yeah, so I think it, it really accelerated. Um, I then 
trying to remember like it's always funny because sometimes you wish like life was just this like linear line of events and it's really not (laughs) no and so you know I remember financing the car and stuff like that and then realizing my credit cards I'm about 24 at this point my credit cards were basically maxed out Mm -hmm. so then I got credit cards did you have um two maybe three okay and so not too, or not compared to like Americans. I, you always hear American debt stories. They're like, oh, my 18 credit cards because right. the banks give it to me. I will say, at least in my experience, it has not been that easy to get multiple credit cards in Canada or like 18 of them. Right. I think it's different now. I think you can get pretty close to that. But. I wish I, well, I'm like old me is glad I don't know that right. or like that it wasn't possible back then. Yeah. So my credit cards were maxed out back then. Um, I remember getting a personal loan. So it was at a much lower interest rate and telling myself like, now I'm going to get serious about my debt Mm -hmm. coming up with this like action plan. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. That didn't happen. The problem was I, I didn't even lower the limits on any of my cards. Right. And so I just went right back to using them. So now you had a loan and credit card debt. Yeah. Oh, I had a loan, a car loan and credit card debt. Right. Um, and then I finally was fully maxed out at 25. So like another year later, another let's say like seven thousand dollars maybe in credit card debt that i've racked up on top of my other stuff so then i was fully maxed out and so was that the lowest point for you in your 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 personal financial journey yeah i mean i remember it it was a low in all kinds of ways i think that like something i talk about very openly in the book is that i started drinking when i was really young i was drinking very heavily at that period of my life Mm -hmm. And so in becoming maxed out, like one of the things I did was I remember in about eight weeks, I've spent probably $3,000 on partying and yeah. So I I think it was a low for all kinds of reasons. Like I just was not in a good place. And I remember going home, I had, I had made this like haphazard attempt at like thinking I wanted to move to Toronto and and starting some different life for myself, which I basically just came out here, parted all my money away, and then I had to go back home and I had to move in with my parents mm-hmm. at 25 because I had I was so maxed out that I had $100 left on one credit card and I had $100 in my checking account and I had to make that last me for six weeks. And during this time, um, when did you start the blog? Did you start the blog because of this? Um, did you rack up debt after you started the blog? Tell me about the intersection between the blogging and your journey. Yeah. So when I was, let's see. So I moved back in May of 2011. That's when I was maxed out. I started the blog basically a couple weeks later okay. when I was able to go back to work. I had taken like a leave of absence. Again, this is like the nonlinear stuff. Yeah. I had taken a leave of absence. I was working for the provincial government at the time and um, I was able to go back to work early. So I had um, a few weeks in there where I was kind of figuring out like what I was going to do and making that hundred dollars stretch out for so many weeks until I would get my first paycheck. Right. And uh, yeah, I just, I started the blog just knowing that almost the way people, if they're, I don't know, like tracking what you're eating to try and lose weight or in your case, gain weight. Oh yeah. We, uh, (laughs) it's a long story. I'm trying to grow my ass. Uh, Honestly, I don't want to get into the backstory of it, but um, the the long and short of it is I'm trying to grow my ass. It involves a lot of squats and eating a lot of food. Let's just move on. So it's, uh, it's the same way though, where you're tracking, right? And so I, 
I started the blog thinking I'm going to I feel I have to explain more. So I have no ass. Like it's completely <laughs> flat. <laughs> it's good. I'm just trying to put my um, head into the headspace of a listener. It's like, why would he? Yeah. So it is completely flat. Like I, like, have you ever, have you ever noticed like there's nothing there, right? <laughs> so this has been one of my resolutions for 2018. Anyways, back to your more important story. So funny. So <laughs> Um, but no, I started the blog just thinking that I was going to track getting out of debt and I had never in my life like tracked my spending. I had never budgeted. I hadn't, I used to not even really look at my credit card statements, right? Like I broke all the rules of the things that you're supposed to do. I didn't do any of them. And so that was the first time. And so I started this little free WordPress blog. Again, like I said, I never thought anyone was going to read it. Right. Uh, the posts were terrible <laughs> in the beginning. Oh, you should have heard the first podcast. It was <laughs> awful. <laughs> but it, um, it really helped. It really helped to just start tracking. I, like the amount of awareness that created for me from just tracking my spending. I wasn't even budgeting yet. It was just tracking. That was like the blog had already served its purpose in like the first few months. Right. So, okay. So after you started the blog, um, you're now on this track to tackling your debt. How long did it take you to pay off that 30,000 bucks? It took me just under two years. I'll just say two years. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I didn't, I can't say I had like a plan for that when I started. I think I'd sort of thought it would make me probably take me three or so. Um, but then Back then I was finishing university, so I was um, getting decent tax returns, which is like, now I'm self-employed, tax returns are not a thing, but but I was getting decent tax returns back then, so these little bits of extra money would come in sometimes that would help me knock off a huge chunk of it. Still, $30,000 in two years, when you've just graduated, I'm assuming you didn't start with a six-figure job. No, and I still don't have a six-figure job. So this was a a pretty monumental thing to have tackled that amount of debt. So you must have taken some pretty draconian measures. I did, and I think that sometimes I say it was like the shopping ban to the extreme, Right. and I didn't know that that's what I was doing. I was so obsessed with getting down to zero, though, that any extra money I had just went towards the debt. Right. And it was like, there's part of me, I'm like, obviously I'll never regret that I got out of debt, but I also do think, looking back in hindsight, I do think that I was too aggressive. Mm-hmm. I also think I was really hard on myself. Like the coming to the point of realizing that I was maxed out, I just felt like such a failure. And I was only 25, so now I'm like, girl, you had the rest of your life ahead of you. Like everything's going to be fine. But I felt like I had like ruined any chance I had of having a strong financial future. Just I was supposed to be a role model for my brother and sister. I just felt like I'd screwed everything up. Right. And so I think the problem with the approach I took was I had no balance. I didn't let myself kind of do anything fun. I was always making excuses for friends for why I couldn't go out or do certain things. Um, I said no to trips and some that would have only been like a thousand bucks. And now I'm like, I would do that anytime. You invite me on a thousand dollar vacation. That sounds great. <laughs> right. So what happened when you paid off that debt? So you're very aggressive in tackling that debt. And you paid it off, you got to a zero balance on all your various sources of credit. What happened next? Um, I went back to spending. Okay. Why? What What do you think was the reason behind that? So I think there's two parts. One, I think, is that I had no purpose for what I was going to do next. Like, I had no real goal of what I was working towards or like a why or any kind of vision of what I wanted the future to look like. So... 
My only one was that I would say I wanted to save 20% of my income for retirement, which should have been very doable because when I was paying off my debt, there were months where I was putting up to 55% of my income towards debt repayment. Mm -hmm. And like I said, there was no balance in that. So in becoming debt free, I wanted to shuffle some numbers around a little, but 20% should have been very doable. Right. And, but I think that because I was so aggressive in my debt repayment, I really didn't take the time to learn what my spending habits were and why I had gotten into debt in the first place. Okay. And then also the part of being so aggressive and like, it's like when you go on like a crash diet of some kind and then all of a sudden you're like, I can't do this. And then you binge on everything. Yeah. It it was too much. Like the way I paid off my debt was too much. And so then I just, I did want to have some freedom again and I did want to see friends and like go out and do things. And so I just started saying yes again. So I didn't go back into debt But I would, you know, on the blog, right, I plan to save 20% of my income. And then at the end of every month, I was lucky if I had saved five. And I would find, even as I was typing up the blog post, I felt like I was justifying my spending. Mm -hmm. And it never felt good. Like, I would write the, and I published it, and I'd put it out there. (laughs) I'm like, I'm not going to lie about anything. But I would, yeah, it just felt like I was justifying my spending, justifying the fact why I wasn't, I wasn't really moving in the direction I wanted my financial life to be going. Did any of your readers pick up on that? They say, hey, look what you were doing before and now you're coasting, you're kind of resting on your lawyers and not really going anywhere at this point? So not a ton. I mean, some almost, and I think friends do this, right? I think some friends are like, don't worry about it, Kate, like you're doing great. And they just try and boost you up and make you feel good. And I think we do do that for our friends sometimes, right? We kind of enable the bad behavior sometimes. So I think that for the most part, people were pretty good. But I remember there were a couple of comments, like I don't remember them word for word, but I remember a couple of comments from people. And actually, I'm going to call him out. I don't know if he'll ever listen to this. There's this guy named Rob. He's retired. Uh, I think he's maybe an hour or so outside of Toronto. And he's been reading my blog like since the beginning and I would honestly look at him as more of like a internet like father figure in the way that he gives me advice. Like he'll, he has such a good heart and like the best of intentions. And so, but he loves numbers. And so he would look at things and be like, Kate, like when you were paying off your debt, you know, you used to only spend X amount on whatever restaurants or I don't even remember, Mm -hmm. but like now you've, you know, you're spending quite a bit more. And like, I think you probably could do better if you kind of just looked at your numbers a little bit. And I remember probably because it's like a father figure, I'm like, don't tell me what to do. (laughs) I didn't didn't say that to him, but you, and also they're like, we get defensive and we get feelings like that uh, when we know someone's right. Yeah, that's right. So, So when did you ultimately decide that you were going to embark on this shopping ban? Stay with us. We'll be right back. You hear a lot about supply chains these days, because if the past couple years have taught us anything, it's that an efficient, well-managed supply chain is absolutely critical to keeping businesses successful and consumers happy. I'm Will Haywood, and I host a podcast called All Business, No Boundaries, where we talk about supply chains, how they work, what happens when they don't, and the innovations that are redefining what's possible in the world of logistics. Join me for insightful interviews with thought leaders and industry experts. We discuss how optimizing supply chains can break down the barriers that are holding businesses back. That's All Business, No Boundaries by DHL Supply Chain. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I would say it was just over a year after I became Mm debt-free. So I was debt-free in May of 2013. 
And in June of 2014, or yeah, 2014, I had this conversation with my family. So my family's always talked about money. Like my dad, um, I, I don't know, like it's funny, my dad's chief engineer and he was with the Coast Guard for his his whole career. Mm-hmm. And But he would he would tell you like if he had done things differently, he would have become an economist. Oh, yeah. And, and I believe it. So my dad's always had a huge interest in money and has always talked about it very openly with us. And things like my dad used to like cut out articles about like RSPs or tax free savings accounts and like leave them around the house for us to read and stuff like that. So just like clip out a yeah. article and just sort of leave it like in yep. the hallway and then oh, maybe no, someone like, will pick it up. Well, no, like on, on the bed <laughs> okay. or something like that. So you'd like come home from school. I'm like 16 years old and there'd be an article about RSPs. I'm like, I can't even do that yet. Like what are, what are we talking about here? But he's well, technically you could. But I was like, you, well, I wasn't really earning anything. Oh, so right, like, right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so he's always talked to us about this stuff, though. And so my family in June 2014, were just kind of sitting around like summer afternoon and money comes up. My sister starts talking about how she's bought something that was like $500. Now, my sister at the time was only um, 20 years old and she was living at home full time while going to university. And so we're kind of just teasing her being like, oh, you shouldn't be spending money like you're in school right now and you've got other priorities. And then she goes, yeah, but I save 20 percent of my income so I can spend the rest on whatever I want. So all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm like almost 29. I'm like, oh, OK. My sister's like figuring this out before <laughs> I am. But then what was more interesting is that I think these words only came out of my mouth because it's I'm an older sister and you are looking after your siblings. And I said, yeah, but you live at home. Do you really need 80 percent of your income or could you live on less? And then, like, I have no idea what anyone else said after that, because then I'm sitting there going, how have I never asked myself that question? Right. Like, do I need 95 percent of my income or could I live on less? And that's really where it started coming from. Like for, for the next two weeks, I just sort of like sat there with that question and also was thinking about the advice of like, you know, personal finance advice out there is always like save 10% or save 20%. I'm like, what if we were flipping that equation, Mm -hmm. right? Because if we're saying like only save 10 or 20, then you could, you might save that and that's great. But what if you could do more? Like what if the question is flipped and it's like, how little can you live on? And then what could you do with all the rest of the money? Mm So it, I, I sort of just started going from there. Like I, the ideas started percolating. I sort of told a few friends, I'm like, I'm thinking of doing this thing where like I don't spend a lot of discretionary money or something for a little while. I don't know what it looks like yet. And and as you talk about it and kind of, I just started writing rules. I'm like, sure, let's, let's do this. I had no idea what I was doing when I got started. Right, because not like, you know, Moses comes down from the mountain with two tablets <laughs> saying, here are the rules for your shopping bin. <laughs> <laughs> so you came up with it on your own. So what were the rules that you um, gave yourself for this one year shopping ban? Yeah, so I was, I will say it sounds restrictive, but then it's also not that restrictive in some ways. So things I was allowed to buy were obviously like groceries. You can put gas in your car, um, toiletries when you run out of them. Like I always joke, I'm like, if you run out of deodorant or toothpaste, like people want you to buy more of that stuff, right? So it, I think that, it was really like just anything I actually used, more like a consumable. Any consumable I actually used, I could buy more of. Mm-hmm. Not in the point of stockpiling, though, but like when you need it, buy more of what you need. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I could not buy anything that was like a non-essential. So clothes, shoes, accessories, books, magazines, anything for around the house, um, just anything I didn't actually need more of, right? Where Okay, so what about like an internet um, access. Is that essential these days? Mm. Like I would be, if someone said you're, you can't have internet access for a year, 
I don't think I could be able to do that. Oh, no, I would never do that. Okay, so that would fall as an essential today? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, and even that's the thing is like, I think that people got confused too. And I found this even with friends during that year. They got confused thinking I, the challenge was like a no spend. Right. I'm like, that's not what it is. It's like literally just not bringing more stuff into my home that I don't need. Mm-hmm. So like just not wasting money um, on, on physical stuff that I don't need because... That's another thing that happened that year is I really went around my home, started kind of decluttering and getting rid of stuff and realizing how much money over the years I had wasted mm-hmm. buying stuff that I would ultimately never end up using. Oh, I know. I know. I, um, you know, going through a series of moves over, you know, the last 10, 15 years, I've always had this rule. If there's a box that you moved one time and then the next move, if that box hasn't been open or if there's still dust on that thing, it hasn't been touched, don't even look at it. Just toss it, right? Who knows what's in there? Just toss it because clearly it's not important to your life. Now, um, one of the things you talk about is sort of decluttering mm-hmm. and minimalism. Um how do you think I'm doing in terms of minimalism and decluttering? <laughs> Don't look in the office. <laughs> Don't look at, I'm like, now I want to get up and go look in the office. No, no, that's the one room you can't look in. No, you're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is like what my office. home looks like. You're doing great. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Really? Okay, yeah. good. Yeah, I do feel like it's sparse, but that's because I am not a great decorator. <laughs> I'm not either. And I also just think like if you're comfortable in your home, that's all that matters. I'm good. I mean, uh, all my design advice I get from my uh, two gay neighbors, two floors down. Uh, they come oh, yeah, in every I remember. Now they then. did some yeah. shopping for you. Yeah, they come in every now and then. And I'll tell you, it is so intimidating when they come over because they are immaculate. Yes. There is not a speck of dust in their place. They have, they don't have a TV. They, it's just so minimal and perfect. Um, and they're always, uh, perfectly groomed. They're incredibly good looking guys and it's so intimidating. So when they come <laughs> over, I have to clean for like four days and like move everything into the office. Like seriously, the office is like, you like have a lock on it. Yeah. absolutely. no one is allowed in there. Um, and they were over for dinner a couple nights ago. That's why it's so minimal right now. Um, but okay. So let's get back to, um, this, um, uh, the year of less. So you declutter and what's the process like getting rid of your stuff? Because there's a lot of emotional ties. And I think a lot of people are thinking, do I want to do something like this? Because I don't know if I can uh, let go of all these items that I have. But there's a part in your book, I think towards the end, where you sort of give a, a recap over um, some things like, do you miss any of the items that you got rid of? So did you? And why not? Because you didn't. Okay. So first I will say, <laughs> I think it's funny you were talking about the moves and the boxes because decluttering wasn't that hard or emotional for me only because the year before I decided to do it, I moved five times in a year and there were so many boxes that Mm -hmm. I never opened or, or opened unpacked, but then just repacked, like never used the stuff. Right. So I, once I started really looking at everything, I'm like, I have no idea when I use this. And if I, if I couldn't justify like why I would keep it, it was pretty easy to let a lot of stuff go. Um, How much stuff did you get rid of? Like on a percentage basis? In the, in the entire year, I got rid of 70% of my belongings. 70% of your belongings. So give me an idea. It's like, what was the biggest thing you got rid of? Um, probably just like some electronics or like kitchen appliances. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't remember if I sold any. Like a slap chop? Like I got rid of a juicer. Um, Answer the question. Do you have a slap chop? <laughs> no, <I don't. laughs> no, but I got rid of a juicer. Um, 
like I think I had like an old Xbox three. Is that even a thing? Xbox 360? Is that I what they so. were called? Yeah. Okay. So I had one of those, um, a camera, something like I, there wasn't much big. It was so much stuff that just fit in boxes. Right. What about like memorabilia or hand-me-downs and stuff like, did you have a lot of that stuff? Um, not a lot. I, it's funny because in the minimalism space, sometimes people are like, get rid of all the sentimental stuff. And I'm like, I don't really buy that. Mm-hmm. I think that it's again, totally personal for everyone. I didn't have an abundance obviously of, of sentimental items, but I don't feel bad that I still have like my high school yearbooks or that I have um, something my grandma who's no longer here, like that she gave me. It doesn't matter to me that I don't use it right. all the time. When I see it, I feel good. Right. I laugh going through my yearbooks once every couple of years. Like it's, yeah, cause there's an emotional connection there. Yeah. So I'm like, I, why would I do that? Like some of them are like, get rid of all your pictures and just scan them. I'm like, why would I do that? Like, it's fun to go through pictures sometimes. I don't care if it's only every couple of years. Right. And that's also, I have like a box or two kind of of sentimental things, but um, yeah, so I know I, I keep that stuff. That right. stuff's fine. But it was really just, I mean, I had like an, one box that was just filled with cords. I've, I also think guys have this a lot. You have like an entire box full of like cords and cables that came with all your electronics. And you just think you shouldn't get rid of it because you'll use it one day. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> like, but I seem to have that as well back then. So I got rid of all those things. <laughs> I've never needed them. <laughs> I'm tempted to go into my office and show my box of cords. <laughs> Because <laughs> you're so right. Well, I can tell you, you'll never use them. Like right. you, you might use one ever, but realistically, for stuff like that, you can usually find it again if you absolutely <laughs> yeah. need it. Right? right. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, decluttering was pretty easy. The bigger things that I got rid of, I would say, was like the majority of my wardrobe. Mm-hmm. I I just realized I was someone who always only wore like the same two to three outfits at a time, like in a week or whatever. So why did I own all of this stuff? Like, why do we feel this need to keep owning it just because we had it at one point or we wore it at one point? Um, So I got rid of a lot of clothes, um, some books, things like I would just never use. Like, I don't even have anything I could play a DVD on anymore (laughs) and and CDs. So presumably we have no DVDs. I have zero DVDs (laughs) and zero CDs. And actually, I have a CD now, but it's of my audio (laughs) book. They sent me the CDs. I'm like, I have nothing to play this on. Well, you can, you know, you could just like put it on a wall or something. You know, it's a nice, <laughs> it's symbolic. Like, this is a platinum record. <laughs> well, it's my first audio book of my own. I guess. You know, right? So to commemorate it. Um, does anyone have CDs anymore? I don't know. I don't I think, think so. I think they do, but like we don't. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you did the decluttering, lost 70% of your stuff. Um and you had these ground rules. It's basically essentials only, um, which is basically consumables. Yeah. Oh, sorry. You asked about, you asked something about like in getting rid of them was anything hard or something Oh, right. Like yeah, that. yeah. I mean, like <clears throat> it was interesting because the, the first half of the year was super easy to get rid of stuff. I had like no attachment to the things that I got rid of really. Um, I think that about three quarters of the way through or just a little under that, maybe like I found out my parents were getting divorced. And went through just sort of a harder emotional time that year of of having to really grieve like the loss of the family, that unit that yeah. I had always known, right? And that I thought we would always have. I never thought my parents were going to get divorced. So it was super shocking. And I remember at some point in there, I was kind of continuing to declutter, looked around, and I realized that there were a bunch of things I had held on to. Um, that I hadn't been willing to declutter in the first part of the year. And it was all this stuff that at one point I had sort of bought for this like 
more aspirational version of myself. So you just, you buy the clothes that like you think more professional or good looking version of yourself would wear mm-hmm. or like classic novels that a more interesting version of myself would read, um, different creative projects that I thought like a more talented version of myself would do. And, and my friend Anthony always talks about this. He calls it like the false first step. Like we buy things thinking that just because we own it now we are the person who has done that thing. Right. But just because you bought it, like it's just a step. Like if I bought an easel, I'm not going to be an artist. Yeah. You have to actually use the easel, (laughs) right? right? And so I think I was constantly taking the false first step, thinking that just because I was buying the thing, then I was becoming that person. Right. But if you looked around my home, you might think I was that person. But like deep down, like I wasn't. The real me wasn't actually interested in doing any of those things or wearing any of those things, using any of those objects. So I never did. And so... I think the tougher part with decluttering was having to let go of all of that stuff right? and just be like, I'm never going to be that person. And that has to be okay. Like I just have to be okay with who I am, whatever my interests are, even if they're not that cool or like other people find them boring or something. Like I just have to be okay with the fact that I don't like the classic novels or I I like a few of them, but it's, that's not my go-to. So what are the things that you like? What are your hobbies? What, what tickles your fancy? So I do like reading. Mm-hmm. I like more easy reads. So I'm, that's why the classics are hard for me. Right. <laughs> when someone's like, you should read this amazing book. It's 900 pages. I'm like, it's not happening. <laughs> right. <laughs> or I, only if I can read it very slowly all year in between all the other books that I'm reading. Right. It's just not not my go-to. Okay, um, reading, hiking. I know you hiking like hike. is Hiking is huge. I think that that's something I was not into when I was young. I don't think I really got into hiking until I quit drinking. And then I just found the outdoors sort of just became this place where I felt really good and comfortable all the time. And so, and it was a good challenge. And every time you do a hike and it's a little bit harder than maybe one you've done before, you get to the end and you're reminded that you can do a hard thing. Right. Like it feels like a challenge up front and you're like, Oh, it actually, like I didn't die. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like breathing very heavily, but I survived that. That's amazing. So hiking has become really, really important. Um, And honestly just spending time with family and friends. Mm -hmm. I think that, that was always at the core of like what you're doing. Like when you go out socializing and stuff like that is that you just want to spend time with people. Mm-hmm. And so I think I've really realized over the years that that is what I care about more than anything else. So, um, I hope this doesn't come across the wrong way. Do you feel like you are enlightened now about how you're supposed to live a life? Well, I, I think for myself, right? Like I think when I finished that year, I just felt like, I understood myself finally and that I had a bit of um, a confidence finally just like in who I was as a person that it wasn't about anything outside of me right like I just understood myself understood what my values were and knew that I didn't want to live out of alignment with that Mm -hmm. so enlightened might be the right word I mean not that you can be enlightened for everyone Mm -hmm. but just thoughts of yeah, because and I'm always questioning it, like um, with spending or like I said in the beginning, like I'm really interested right now in how we're consuming things like media and social media and how the effects that has on our happiness and on our finances. Um, and so I'm always questioning it, which I think is what you do when you're not enlightened, but when you're open, like I'm open to thinking about this stuff rather than just living kind of mindlessly and just going through the waves. I'm I'm always thinking. So this speaks to the mindfulness that you talk about in the book as well. So, um, and I think I mentioned this in the, in the introduction, there's this intersection between money, minimalism, and mindfulness. 
So what is what is the the promise of the book to the reader? Um, how do you connect these three? Um, if someone picks up this book and they say, "All right, well, there's someone else in my relationship with me. Um, there's two people here. I'm on board with this, but they're not, or I have family, or not." What do different people get out of this this book? What do you think they should be getting out of it? Well, I think first of all, with anything like this, and just making a change in your life in general, it. I know, especially as as someone who has lived um, doing a lot of the bad habits, you can't force someone else to do like make a change with you. Mm-hmm. I think the only thing we can do is lead by example. So whatever that looks like, if it is in a partnership, if it's parent to child, like all we can do is lead by example, make whatever changes we can make. Um, and just let other people see how it affects them. Even like, I will say in the first six months or so, my friends kind of thought I was nuts. I'm like, you're not shopping for anything. Like, what are you doing? Um, and then six or so months into it, I'm having friends going, oh, you know, I was I went out shopping and I was thinking of buying this thing. And then I thought, what would Kate do? <laughs> and then I didn't buy the thing because I realized I didn't actually need it. Right. And so it's just the lead by example, I don't think we can force people to make changes. No, I don't think so. Because like, have there been anyone who've um, you know contacted you and said, "So I came home and I saw that my partner had bought this book, and uh, <laughs> now I'm um, I'm very angry at you, Kate." <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. No, okay. I haven't had any of that yet. I think honestly, it's just been. I mean, you write a book, and especially with a memoir, you know it's going to get mixed feedback, and mm-hmm. that some people will not. Um, they just it won't work for them or it doesn't interest them or especially with memoirs people are like oh that's all just self-serving doesn't help anyone I think that the best feedback I've gotten so far has actually been from couples where I'm hearing things like one person either saying like you basically told my story in a book like maybe they didn't relate to every single part of it but Mm -hmm. a lot of it of just and it's the consumption tendencies right so it's not maybe that we spent money on the same things or anything like that but that the the emotions, the stories we tell ourselves, the justifications we make, all of that, it's that's just all humans can kind of connect on that level in, in some way. And so I think hearing from part or people who will say, I've told their story a little bit. And then one I even just got this morning was a woman saying, and also my husband just quit drinking four months ago and I really want him to read this after. I'm like, wow, that's really cool. So mm-hmm. if if anything, just the fact that it could start a conversation is really neat. Great. And um, we have to go because yeah. uh, our lunch went super long <laughs> and I don't know where the time went. Um, also because the guy like never brought or asked what we wanted to eat. Yeah, so. that's true. <laughs> yeah, we can blame it on him. Um, <clears throat> in the book, you give sort of a guide for people who want to try an experiment. So uh, you're not recommending that people like everyone just outright sorry, declutter everything and, and what have you. But you do give them a mini guide. So if you want to experiment with it, which could in itself lead to a lot of uh, positive change, um, what are some of the key elements for people? And and what do you find have been the hardest things for them to do in that list? You don't have to go through all of them. They got to yeah, buy yeah. the book if they want to yeah, get yeah. the goods. But. So one I would say is, I mean, I talk about decluttering only very briefly because I do want to acknowledge like not everyone can just go out and like it's kind of a privilege to say that I can declutter and get rid of a bunch of my stuff. Right. right. And so I... I always want to say, like, you don't have to do that. That's not necessarily part of it. Instead of that, what's sort of been more interesting is talking about this idea of just, like, taking inventory of some of the things you own the most of. Um, And again, it comes back to that awareness thing. Like, me, at the beginning of it, I took inventory of kind of everything I (laughs) kept, which is how I was able to track that I got rid of 70% of my stuff. 
So um, that's not just an approximation. You literally, literally got rid of seventy percent. I literally got rid of. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it, but I've always said I'm like that was just a numbers thing. It was like me scratching an itch of like curiosity. I just wanted to know. It's not important. <laughs> so you're like like a big corporation. You've got like ID tags and every piece of equipment and whatnot. You just sort of scan it. Oh yeah, I'm at sixty eight point two percent. Seventy percent of stuff gone. Oh my gosh. Yes, kind of like that. Like it was it was scribbled notes on paper. But yes, it was like that. That's awesome. So no, I don't think that like everyone has to go out and declutter. But taking inventory of the things you own the most of creates awareness so that it can stop you from making a lot of impulse purchases. So it's literally like one of the things I did was I knew that I owned 54 books that I hadn't even read. Mm. So just adding that up, then every time, which was all the time (laughs) throughout that year, every time I thought about buying books, I could remind myself, you know what, when I started this, I had 54 I hadn't even read. I don't actually need more books right now. Mm -hmm. And it's just awareness. So it's not about like, you're not allowed to buy books ever again or anything like that. It's Having just an awareness of how much you already own stops you from making the impulse purchase. Um, And I think that is like what's so key in all of it is like just learning how to hit pause and ask yourself, do I actually need to buy this thing right now? That is like the biggest lesson I took out of it that I still have to this day. Like I don't go and make impulse purchases because I have to have like felt the need for it before I'm going to go out and buy it. I will. I one. Well, I think the other part of that too is we have to remove browsing from as a list of hobbies or from our list of hobbies. I think that so many of us we just like in part of it we don't even realize like on social media we're seeing advertisements, but you then might go off and look at some store and then you're looking at all the things that they offer and mm-hmm. whatever. But we walk into malls thinking like oh, I'm just going to look around. When you decide you're going to just look around, you're probably going to find something. You're going to find something you could spend money on. So like it has to just be removed from a list of hobbies. That yeah, because just walking around, it might plant the seed. Yeah. Well, I always think like and then it, you end up if you're it. looking for something, you'll find it. It's the same when you're like, if you're looking for something bad about someone or something, you could probably dig hard enough and find the thing. Like if you're looking, you will find it. Mm-hmm. So those are places to start. And I think too, like, again, even before jumping on the idea of doing a shopping ban, where did mine start from? Mine started from not being happy with how little I was saving. So start by tracking your spending. Like it doesn't have to be an immediate jump in of just like, I'm not allowed to buy anything anymore. It was a year of me making all these justifications for like spending that I wasn't actually happy about. So it just goes back to really like a lot of basics. You don't have to jump in and do a shopping ban. Just start tracking your spending and see how much stuff you already own and see where it goes from there. All right. So, um, Everyone gets a commercial at the end of the podcast, so you can promote anything you want. I'm guessing Whoa. it's going to be your book. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it be so weird if actually I was like, well, actually, I've started a new television show. <laughs> um, well, uh, not to put you on the spot, but uh, I did have a guest, Lucas Kawa, um, who, when given the opportunity, promoted his mother's charity. Oh. <laughs> well, I don't have any of those. Um, that's a good question. I mean... I think probably just the book at this point. And I, I blog semi-regularly now. I used to blog all the time at capeflanders.com. Benchmark that against my <laughs> output of podcasts okay. and blogging and YouTube now. Okay. So I'm like, I probably blog. So you're like prolific compared to me. Yeah, I probably blog like twice a month at this point. Oh my God. Where do you find the time? <laughs> uh, okay. And so the blog is? Just kateflanders.com. Just kateflanders.com? <laughs> KateFlanders.com. <laughs> and the Kate is C-A-I-T. Yes. Uh, KateFlanders.com. 
and people can find out about the book on your website. I'm sure they can find it in every single possible location that sells books because it is everywhere. You're doing this uh, huge whirlwind tour. I know you're going to be speaking in England as part of your, your book tour. The amount of attention that this has gotten has been phenomenal. I'm super happy for you. Thank you so much. And uh, thanks for coming on the show. This was great. Thank you for having me. You should come on more often. I should. All right. Uh, <laughs> Are you we'll going to pay for my flight? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, all right. So my faithful listeners, that's all for this week. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, appreciate you taking a few seconds to give it a rating on iTunes. I also love reading your comments, so keep those coming in. And until next time, uh, keep, I don't know, not spending. <laughs> <laughs>